You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Hello, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode. Friends, I'm so glad you tuned in today. Today is a podcast that you're going to get some information, some inspiration from a dynamic gentleman that's going to bring it to you. He's in the red hot seat today. He's a social worker for over eight years. He's received his undergraduate degree at Aurora University in 2015. And then he went on to receive a master's of social work in 2016. And also from the Aurora University. University. And during his career, he has held many, many roles, including working with individuals and families with mental health challenges and end of life decisions, making crisis management. Um, Paul serves as a primary social worker for the U Chicago Medical Center Group in Oncology, Hematology Department for six years. And over the past four years, Mr. Dickerson has worked firsthand with the devastation of hunger and how it can have a, an impact on different individuals who is ill. Um, his experience and his desire to reduce inequities through the population that he's worked with and faced led him to want to address the problems of hunger among cancer families head on. In 2018, Paul began to ask the question of his healthcare system, how are we going to address hunger at our hospital? And how can I have an impact on the nutritional needs of cancer patients. After almost three years of conversations and meetings and planning, his dreams became a reality. Alongside a group of dedicated internal and external partners, including the Center for Food Equity in Medicine, which was founded by Dr. Ann Jackson under Paul's leadership, two complementary nutritional stations opened up in the summer of 2021, and the third followed in November of the same year. These Inside Cancer Center's nutritional stations are unique to the UChicago Medical Group Health Systems, and to the best of our knowledge, it isn't present in any other community hospital cancer center. The station has been thriving to date and serves approximately 40,800 pounds of food and served approximately 4,607 people. You know what? I just want you guys to just give a rah, rah, rah for my dear friend who's making it happen in the communities, Mr. Paul Dickerson. Welcome, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. And so the crowd much. goes, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, I, there's so many things that we have to talk about today, Paul. And But I want to know, what are some of the health um, mental health challenges that you've encountered because, you know, we've come through a pandemic and somewhat still in it. But what are some of those um, mental health issues that you find in your line of work? Well, I see a lot of people who still struggling with anxiety. Mm. That's one wow. of the biggest things and depression. Yeah. Because yeah. Unfortunately, during this um, pandemic, a mm -hmm. lot of my patients have lost loved ones. Oh, and that's really on top of their illness and then dealing with the fact that they lost someone. That's really mm -hmm. what they're facing is depression and then anxiety and all mm -hmm. of that because they don't know the future is unknown. You right. know, 
Right, right. It's so true. Now, why did you decide to go into social work? Because this is like a heart type of field. This is not like technical. You can just work in the room on a computer. Don't have to worry about anything in your cubicle. So, so why did you decide to go into social work? You know what? Growing up, I always had a heart to want to help people. Mm. I just at that time didn't know whether it was going to be on the medical side, meaning being a nurse okay. or the social worker side. Okay. So okay. As I started my um, career in healthcare, I was a CNA for almost 11 years. Okay. Okay. And during that time, I took the advantage to start networking with nurses and social workers and phlebotomists mm. and different um, medical fields that you can go into. Okay. So I actually sat down and mm. I took out a piece of paper and I narrowed the two fields that I was interested in. And it was mm. either social work or nursing. Okay. So I actually made a, a um, took out a piece of paper, made a list of all of the fields that you could be in when it came to nursing. Okay. And I made a list of all the fields that you can um, be in when you are a social worker. Okay. And then I look compared the two lists <laughs> together, and my list as a social worker outweighed the list as a nursing. Both oh. very excellent fields. But mm -hmm. I said, you know what, this is my path because there's so much more and a much bigger impact personally me that mm -hmm. I felt I can do as a social worker. Now, you know, sometimes as a social worker, you have to have a certain approach or have plans of treatments and things like that. Um, was there a time in your career that a client might not have agreed with your approach or with your plan of treatment? Because sometimes people can be a little bit, they want to do it their way, you know, like Frank Sinatra, so to speak. So was there a time when you knew that what you were saying was the right path, but maybe that person might have been difficult or you know, what goes on in the house stays in the house and they don't want to kind of comply with the regulations or, or the approach of the professional. Absolutely. A lot of people sometimes, just like you said, don't want to take our advice as professionals. Yeah. And they yeah. want to do it their own way. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, sometimes those patients have to, quote unquote, fall and bump their head before they realize you know what, what he was telling me or what she was telling me was absolutely the truth. Wow. So sometimes wow. with me, I get a lot of challenge back from the patients because I guess the way I put it out there, because I don't like to sugarcoat it as yeah, we, yeah. I like to give it to them plain to let them know okay. this is the way it's going to be. If you go down this road, this is what's going to happen. But if you take this, these are some resources that can yeah. um, help you down this road. And I found that I got a lot of people that respect me for taking that type of mm. approach instead of trying to sugarcoat it and make it, you know, try to hide stuff from them. I right. find out a lot of our patients like to hear it straight up. Right, exactly right. Going on. Straight no chasers, as they say. That's what Paul's going to give it to you, you, you know? know. You know, when you're talking to these families and they're you're, they're going through some, some, some end of life situations, we talk about, you know, the pandemic and things. Um, and there are certain strategies and things like that that you're trying to help them to cope. Are there some intervention things that that you can share with us to be able to help people that may be going through? It's a health crisis, family crisis, end of life crisis for people that have just lost someone. You know, there are so many people around the world that were losing people, not only to health situations, but they were losing their jobs and all kind of, you know, kids being taught at home and parents having to deal with their children at home, all of these different type of crises that 
people are thrown into. Trauma is happening everywhere, you know, not just on the uh, medical floor, but it's happening in the home and it's happening on the job, people losing a job. So how did you help with some strategies for people that were going through some of these types of um, problems or crises or types of interventions that you could share? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I always make sure that I always focus my attention because a lot of times when patients come and see me, they have like a room full of people because they mm. feel more comfortable with their family. Okay. I always okay. direct my focus on the patient. Okay. Not saying that their loved ones isn't important, but I look at them to let them mm. know this is about you, not wow. about your children, not about your family, but about you. Because yeah, yeah. a lot of times the mistake that we make as professionals Mm -hmm. We don't direct the question or look directly eye to mm -hmm. eye with the patient. We're always looking mm -hmm. at the family. So yeah. let me get, what is your concerns? What are you most concerned about? Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. from there, then I start um, coming up with different resources because a lot of resources that I have, a lot of these individuals or patients don't know that they're out there. Wow. So one of wow. the biggest things with our job is uh -huh. anticipating the needs of the patients before they even know that they have a need. Wow. That's wow. what comes, that could be quite difficult on our behalf, but that's part of our job. What do you think these patients would need mm. in those situations? So wow. when they come to me and they say, okay, my, my primary caregiver have passed away or I don't have um, transportation to my appointments anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let you know, Mrs. Jones, we have a program in place that can get you to and from your appointment. Wow. Mrs. Jones, you can yeah. get free rides through your insurance if you have Medicaid. Oh. Mrs. Jones, there's transportation through the um, townships out here where I work at that can get you to and from your appointment. So yeah. we address this barrier that kind of lifted a little weight off of their shoulder. Now let's go on to the next. You know, so it's I so interesting because people don't know a lot of the resources that are out there. And so a lot of people kind of fall into the cracks because they don't know the resources. I mean, it's like if they're having trouble paying the rent or getting transportation, they have to get to the door of that facility and then they find out all this information is there. But how? why do you think that the marketing of getting this information out there is not better? Because the help is there. The, the money is being put into these projects and programs, but people still are not aware. The majority of people, if you take a poll and say some of those programs you mentioned, it would be a surprise. So yeah. why do you think that these these the government or, the, or someone is not marketing this better to get the information out there for people to know if you need help, you can go here. And if you need, you know, health resources, if you, you know, you lose your job, if you have Medicare or whatever, how come we're not getting this information? That's the key. And that is a problem that I'm facing even now within okay where I'm at now. There's yeah, really yeah. no straightforward answer okay. as to okay. why the information is not getting out there. So that's mm -hmm. why I take it upon myself to okay. go to these networking events that they have for social workers. Oh, okay. of, you know, what I actually did one time, I actually did a survey of my patients to mm. try to figure out what are some things that you are, are concerned about? What are okay. some barriers that you are, are facing? Mm. And once I see those things that they're facing, then I seek out a solution for that. Because okay. just like you said, there's so many resources out there. Yeah. So many resources out there. And that's why it's important for us as social workers in the healthcare system to start communicating. Yeah, yeah. Important. You know, 
because I have friends, social worker friends that work in different um, with different population, not necessarily okay. the oncology hematology department. I'm okay. calling them, asking them, hey, do you have any resources for X, Y, and Z? Mm. And same in turn, they call me because sometimes it's just word of mouth. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, you, you, we talked about, you know, different type of resources. And one of the fundamental resources that should be available to everyone is food. Let's talk about the food deserts that are there and that is so prevalent. People are still hungry, not just the homeless people, but families are suffering. Um, senior citizens trying to say, can I pay for my medicine and pay my bills and take care of all the obligations? Um, let's address this problem of, of what you're doing about this situation and how you're helping in the communities. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing that up because that's definitely one of the passion of mine and mm -hmm. one of the things that I'm currently addressing and still looking to address within my local community. Okay. But before we even move on to that, I always think it's important for people to understand what it is. Because yes. we put a big fancy word on food insecurity, but mm. if we break it down, what do that actually mean? Because mm. people don't know people are food insecure and mm. they don't even know it. Wow, that's so interesting. That's what's, that's, that's what's um, the ironic thing about it. Mm, but mm. the United States Department of Agriculture mm -hmm. defines food insecurity as mm -hmm. a lack of consistent access to enough food for every person in a household to live mm. an active life, a mm. healthy life. Mm. This can be a temporary situation or this could be a long lasting situation. Mm. My philosophy that I always go by, everybody is only a diagnosis away mm. or a situation away from being food insecure. Wow. A lot of my patients that I'm serving now, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they was not always food insecure. They was thriving mm. just like you and I. Wow. They came to the hospital or came to the doctor because they had a back pain. They had mm. a lump on their breast. They had mm. this or had that. Thought it was just going to be a simple in and out thing. Wow. Find out they was hit. I have cancer. I mm. have this. That's a life altering situation. And yeah. that changes the, the dynamic of everything. Mm. The whole household. Wow. Now, like you said before, these individuals are now suffering and dealing with. I have to go for treatment. I'm trying to fight for my life. That's all these people are doing, fighting for their life, trying to live, paying wow. for their medication, paying for their bill, paying for treatment. How can a person do that? How can a person really do that? And those are some of the common causes of people to become food insecure. Mm. Poverty, unemployment, low income, lack of affordable housing, like yeah. we just discussed, chronic health conditions or lack of access to health care. Wow. wow. Now, when people get that and I hear the story that I'm hungry now, I have little kids at home. Mm. So any parent is going to put their kids over themselves. So they go on the side of putting food on their table and they letting their health lack. Mm. And now their illness is starting to progress to the point where we can't help them really anymore. Oh my. And that's a situation that nobody should ever have to go through, wow. eating or paying their medical bills. Yeah. So I said to myself, what can I do? Mm. If you all know the University of Chicago is a great big organization. Yes, it is. I'm yes. just one person. Right, right. So right. 
I'm hearing this day after day from my patients. I can't just let this go without attempting to do something. Mm. So I myself went mm. up to my boss and senior leadership and said, what can we do? Mm. What can we do to address this food crisis that we're going into? And this was right. pre the pandemic. The pandemic mm. hasn't started at this time. Okay. Okay. So in the beginning, they kind of put me on the back burner. So I kept going back to them. No, no, we can't put this on the back burner. My patients are suffering. Mm. And all I'm doing is just sending them to local pantries, which are not giving them any type of nutritional food. Yeah. 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 So what can I do? So it took me about three years of meeting and conversations. And I was going to start a micro pantry, which is something a little bit smaller. Yeah. Then my mentor entered into my life and she said, no, let's go big or go home. We want a complimentary nutrition station, a food pantry at each of the locations. Mm. So that started more of a conversation. Now we're starting the planning phase. Mm-hmm. Then I'm speaking with my doctors that I work with. They okay. getting on board with the ideal because their mm-hmm. patients are coming to them and coming to me. And I'm like, we have to do something. Wow. In your leadership after a while and many, many, many interviews and meetings and things of that nature finally came on board. Wow. And that's why in June of 2021, we opened our first complimentary nutrition station. Mm-hmm. And that was through private donors. Mm-hmm. Our um, foundation, you know, invested money into this program. Our complimentary nutrition station are two open in June, mm-hmm. the third open in November. Oh, okay. and, and we operate on a no question eggs. Why our doors are open, the stations are open. You could take wow. as much food as you want, how often you need it. Mm-hmm. That's wow. my goal. That wow. is my goal. And I was so blessed to see that come to fruition. Absolutely. You know, it's really important that you say that because a lot of times people, like you said, they will put food on the table, ignore their health, but the food that they're putting on the table may not be the most nutritious. It may be a lot of carbohydrates, not fresh vegetables and, and, you know, the right type of uh, juicy, healthy juices on the table. So they're actually making a situation worse by indoctrinating more of the bad stuff into their families because because they they can't can't afford to go to a Whole Foods or or have a Whole Foods in their community where they can get fresh fruits and vegetables and things along that line. So they're getting, uh, you know, a lot of uh, fast food type of food or or something that is not as nutritional where they can cook it and make it, you know, at home and things like that. So it's really, really important to um, take a look at that, you know, and, and find alternatives where people can say, I have a choice. I can go get these canned vegetables or something like that if I can't get the fresh vegetables. But just having a choice. Um, is so important, the food insecurities and defining that because a lot of people get into it and don't realize it, that they're in it, like you said. So I'm so glad that you really explained that because it's really, really important. How has this impacted your life, Paul? Because this is something that stays with you. You know, a lot of social workers, they have trouble sleeping at night because they take their problems home with them. How has this work and food insecurities, working with cancer patients, hearing these stories, how has it affected your life in general? In the beginning, I was one of those social workers who took my work home with me. Couldn't sleep at night because I'm thinking about what the patients are telling me. I'm going home. I know what I'm going to eat today. If Mm. I don't know, I have options in my refrigerator. Wow. I'm like, and I sat down and I started to think, 
if I have a craving for something and I cannot get my hands on it, I know how miserable that is for me. Oh, okay. Gotcha. But these patients don't have that option. They go home, they don't know what they're going to eat. So that became heavy on my heart, mm-hmm. heavy on my heart. And unfortunately, I have seen some of my patients pass away due mm-hmm. to that because of them letting their health lack. So it weighed on me heavily. Yeah. So I had to learn how to do a lot of self-care. Okay. Doing things that I enjoy, try to separate myself from my work. When I clock out, I have to learn how to leave it at work. Okay. Okay. So I do a lot of traveling. I love traveling. Mm. I grew up in the church. So, you know, prayer, Yeah. Yeah. my belief in God, speaking to my mentor, Mm. Dr. Ann Jackson stuff, giving me advice, talking to my mom and things of that nature to do Mm. things to help me to de-stress from the day. Wow. Wow. That, that, that's really important. Um, you know, now what are some of the goals you have for the nutritional centers? Because I know with more donations, you could do more, but what would you like to see if, if money wasn't an issue and you can have this center there? Um, what would you like to see in one of those centers? If it was an ideal situation from childcare to all the way across the board? Yes, absolutely. At my job, Mm-hmm. I have the three um, complimentary nutrition station. I'm in the works with the fourth one, and okay. that's going to be for the greater of the hospital in the community. Okay. okay. In, you know, the area that I'm at. Okay. So I will, and we're also working on doing a delivery program, which we call mm. the food brigade program. Oh. Because everybody is not able to come to our stations yeah. to um, get the groceries. So yeah. we're going to create a program we can deliver the food to their home mm, I love and that. make sure that they still have food, even though they cannot come to our stations. Mm, wow. So that's wow. what we would love to have a full team. And I would love to bring this model mm-hmm. to my local town of Joliet because it is a need there as well. So yeah. if I had the money, the same model that I just described, I mm. want to bring it to Joliet. Mm, wow. It's that- a need. It That's is. amazing. That is amazing. I mean, talking about the food brigade, bringing the food right to your door, you know, the complimentary nutritional stations, it takes that stigma out of it. If you're just saying, you know, it's a pantry, go get free food. It kind of yeah, helps it be a little bit more dressed up, um, helping people to understand that food insecurity, what it is and how easy from a health crisis to different other types of trauma that you can be thrown into that situation and need that help. All this, all of these are life altering situations, as you mentioned. So it's so important to understand it, to recognize, to have sympathy and empathy for people that are going through difficulties like this and being a social worker extraordinaire. <laughs> that's your new title there. It really makes a difference for people to be able to sit down, listen to, you know, you listen to the problems and you really focus on them. Now, is there some people that after you talk with them, that you still find it difficult to work with them. I mean, is there a way that a, that a social worker could just say no and, and kind of walk away and turn that case over to someone else? Or how does it work when it, you just don't thrive with the family or with that individual? Or are you stuck with them for life, as they say? You know, that's, <laughs> that's a good question because it is extremely difficult. Yes. Because for me, I'm the primary social worker for three locations. So I have five doctors and one one nurse practitioner. Mm. And I'm it. I'm the only social worker they have. Wow. Wow. And my position came about 
because of my patients, because mm. they're the one that said they felt that they needed a social worker. Mm. So that's how my position kind of got created because mm. they always didn't have a social worker. Oh, okay. So I have other social workers within the hospital that I can bounce ideals off of. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, these are, these are my patients. They're my right. family. I say they're part of my family now when they come <laughs> into the office. Now, so, when let me ask you a question. When you find that you're talking to that client, that person, you say the other people in the room or the other family, they're kind of like on the back burner. Are they offended by that? The person that you're talking to, that they want, it's all inclusive. You know, we got to have, he's got to be in the room when you're talking to me or she's got to be in the room when you're talking to him. You know, do you find tension there with that approach? At, sometimes I do. Okay. But once I explain to them of why I'm doing it the way I'm doing it, then they seem to kind of understand why I'm saying it because it's all about the patient. Mm. If the patient says, okay, for you all to be here, then it's okay. Mm. I'm not dismissing you mm -hmm. because I know when anybody is impacted with the diagnosis with cancer, it's wow. not only going to affect the patient. This is a mm -hmm. family situation. Mm -hmm. So I deal with the patient first. Mm -hmm. And what people don't know, it's a lot of resources out there for the caregivers. Because I understand oh. that the caregivers have a lot of stress. Yeah. You're not the only one going through the treatment. It's a family system that have to be um, addressed. So do you work with the caregivers as well, or do they have to go to another location to get that assistance? No, I work with the caregivers as well. Okay. Even some of my patients have transitioned and mm. just gone on to their final resting place. Yeah. I still have a connection with the family members that they call me and ask for resources because they may be dealing with grief. Mm. And what people don't know up in the South suburb area, we have a place called the Cancer Support Center. Okay. The Cat Support Center, all of their services are 100% free. They mm. have therapy. They have um, caregiver support. They have individual mm. therapy, family therapy. Mm -hmm. So I definitely have a connection with them and their therapists. So wow. I tend to send them over there if they want a more in-depth therapy session or more about free resources. Sometimes they just want to call me and go down memory lane with the patient. And if they wow. want to do that, that's absolutely fine. Anything to help them get through. Right. And I right. feel that that's most of the time that's what they want to do. Just want to listen the ear to vent to mm. and want to feel validated. Yeah. Paul, how would you describe yourself in three words? Because you are a heart centered messenger for sure. Um, like I said, a social worker extraordinaire. How would you describe yourself in three words? Because every social worker is not the same. They're not all cut out of the same cloth. You've got some that are really mean, so yeah. to speak, and they're taking that check and that's a check to them. And whether the person gets better or want to take their advice or information, it's like, you know, oh, well, you know, they just got to get the paper. They just got to shove that paper through. So how would you describe yourself and what would you say to people that want to go into this industry because it's very tough, especially coming out of this pandemic and somewhat still in it. How would you encourage someone to still go into this field? Absolutely. So the three words that I will pick for myself is I'm very passionate. Okay. I'm very passionate. Mm -hmm. I um I'm very caring. Yes. You have to be passionate. You have to be caring. Okay. okay. And I am a advocate for my patients. Mm. 
Okay. So though advocate is not really a word to describe, but I feel I'm the voice of my patient when yes. they can speak for themselves. Yes, yes, yes. And I feel you have those are three traits you definitely need if you want to go into the field of social work. That's mm -hmm. why social work is one of the highest um, careers that have the high burnout rate. Yeah. People don't know how to care. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. don't know how to care. People mm. come in here. You're not going to get in this field and become rich. Mm. You have to come into this field for the right reason. Else yeah. you're, not, you're not cut out for it. You're not wow. cut out for it. Wow. And there's so many different avenues and so many people that I know that thought this is what they wanted to do. But um, they had to step away because it wasn't for them. And I respect that. Mm. You need to, if you want to go into this field, you need to know yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I be mean by knowing yourself, you have to know what you can deal with and what you can't deal with. Mm -hmm. It's some populations within this field that I know personally me, I wouldn't do good at. Okay. So I recognize that. And I had a talk with myself and I said, I know this is not the path for me. Therefore, I'm not going to go down this path. Okay. And I started in this field. This was brand new to me. Mm. I said, I'm going to try it out. Mm -hmm. If it's not for me, then you walk away from it. Okay. But I encourage everybody to do your self-assessment. Yeah. What are some populations that you feel you can and cannot go to? Wow. Find you some social workers that you think that you're interested in following down that particular career path and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Do an internship, job shadow them for a day. Mm, wow. To see wow. is those really what you really, I mean, the fields that you really want to go down to. Wow. And oftentimes you will learn something new about yourself. Mm, wow. Paul, who motivates you? Where do you get your inspiration from to keep on going day to day? Because all of us have someone we look up to, but who motivates you and keeps you just on this path of wanting to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason? <laughs> <laughs> I have two people, absolutely my mother. Okay. Growing up, she was a single mother who raised mm. me seeing her get up and go to work every day, mm. seeing that she come home sometimes late at night and have to get up early in the morning, have to drive a far away distance for work. Mm. And she always did that. Wow. Always did that every day. And I seen that drive in her. And yeah. I think that kind of spilled out to me to keep that motivation going. Yeah. Just because something don't go your way don't mean throw in the towel. You keep going. Mm. Wow. So she's my biggest cheerleader now. And yeah. then my mentor, Dr. Mm -hmm. Ann Jackson, since she wow. entered my life, yeah. she has been nothing but a motivating force for me. And mm -hmm. I talked to her about everything. She has her own story. I'm not going to tell her story, but yeah. because of her story that she shared with me, keeps yeah. me going, keeps mm -hmm. me motivated. Wow. When I feel like, no, I don't want to do this. She said, no, no, we're going to do this. <laughs> and she set me up in front of beautiful people, opened mm. doors for me that mm. I didn't think was going to be open for me. Wow. I'm thinking I'm just doing my reasonable service by assisting and helping my patients. But she's but she'd sit down and talk to me and tell me, like, you don't know really the work that you're doing, the impact that you're having. Mm. Wow. And I'm like, wow. And when I sit back and uh, meditate on those words that they yeah. give me, yeah. And I looked to see how far I came. Wow. Like, wow. 
<laughs> wow. I mean, I really didn't see it like that yeah. because I wasn't looking to be in a platform that you invited me on. And I'm very mm -hmm. grateful for that to get the word out. Mm -hmm. I was comfortable being in the background doing the work behind the scene. Mm -hmm. But it's time out for that. It's time to get the word out. What mm -hmm. we're doing, what's the need are, because people don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And right. that's how you get the word out. <laughs> wow. You know what? You know, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a turning point today. This has been a turning point. Uh, giving some information. There's so many programs out there. There's so many um, things that people need to know. Um, you know, today we talked about, you know, the food insecurities and what it means and what the definition of it is. You know, how life um, allotment could just change your situation. You know, you could be in healthy today and, and be diagnosed tomorrow and it could really literally change your life. We talked about complementary nutrition stations, which Mr. Paul Dickerson is a part of and he has created within his community as well. And the food brigade, this is one of the things that you can help be able to share, donate, and to be able to give to this great cause. Um, there's many things that he would like to do within the community to expand his programs. Paul, how can people get in contact with you to donate, to get some information about the food um, programs that you have in the communities? Also, just about social work in general, how to get in contact with a social worker. Absolutely. If somebody wanted to get in contact with me directly, they can always get in contact with me via email, Okay. which is pwd1983 at mm -hmm. gmail.com. Or if somebody is want to connect with me with my vision, because I want to work with um, the mayor of Joliet, we're going yes. to say the mayor of Joliet to bring a program yes. to Joliet so we can hand out groceries this summer. Yes, I started a um, I started a GoFundMe page because, as mm -hmm. we know, it takes money. Excellent. So I can send you the link and we can post the link up there. Somebody wanted to instantly sign on there to make a donation. It would yes. definitely go directly to putting food on those families' table. Yes. So yes. just reach out if you have any questions. No question is too small. No question is too big. I would definitely right. get back to you or respond back to you in any way that I um that you would like. Absolutely. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Paul's information will be on our website as well. Uh, we're so delighted that he is a part of this community here in Joliet, but he has resources that can help anyone or point you into a right direction. Those of you that are going through different health challenges and things like that with cancer, oncology, hematology, he is an expert. He knows what to do. He knows how to point you in the right direction and also can help you to find uh, a, re a social worker in your area because some people don't know what they don't know, as he, as he was saying. Uh, we want you to reach out to him, get in contact with him, find out how you can be a help, how you can be of service to this young man because he's doing great things. And there's a saying that, um, you know, your gift, if you bring your gift will bring you before great men. And this person right here, his gift is bringing him before a lot of great men. He mentioned his mentor. We're going to say kudos to his mentor, Dr. Ann Jackson as well, who's been in his life making a difference. Um, we want to thank her for helping him to be able to shape and mold his vision. Paul, thank you so much for being our special guest today. I'm so grateful to know you. I'm grateful for the work you're doing. I look forward to joining hands and working with you with the mayor uh, of this great city to help you to get these programs out there. You're doing an awesome work. We thank you for the work that you're doing. And if you did not hear this entire broadcast today, we would like for you to visit our website at www road to eternity.net to get more information. Paul Dickerson's information will be on there as well. And we'd like for you to reach out to him 
to help him out because like I said, he's doing great things within the community and he's looking at doing more. So I want to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world. Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.